Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Everly Babineau, a very new mom with a very young baby who was the source of some incredible experiences for his mom and dad as well. Because this little one was a preemie, entering the world a few months earlier than expected, the family has been selected as the ambassador family for the March of Dimes and the focus on prematurity awareness. I'm so grateful to have Everly join us to share about her experience. Everly, good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing very fine, thank you. Um, I suppose with a newborn, you're perhaps uh, up at this hour more natural, right? (laughs) More than that. He actually just woke up, so he's uh, Jordan's actually not going to join. I'm going to do it. He's going to make sure that... (laughs) Jace is occupied for Okay, that is just great. Thank you for accepting to be the ambassador family for March of Dimes and great accolades to you for, for being so courageous to do this. Thank you. Well, when um, Samantha reached out and asked us to be ambassador family for this year, um, I was a little like us because there's so many families that are in the NICU. I mean, just at Swedish First Hill, but I can't imagine just in the state of Washington. And, you know, our little baby boy, he was tiny, but I was like, there's so many other babies here and so many other families that I talked to that have these amazing stories. So it was, it was an honor for her to ask, but it was funny. I was like, I think that maybe we should, you know, make it like a community thing and bring in some of the other moms that I kind of spent my days with. And so we've turned it into a community, a room one, because we were all in this one room, room one kind of (laughs) conversation. So it's nice. That is. And, you know, just saying that much about it, Everly, speaks so much about the experience then that you had at the NICU with March of Dimes, I think, to create this kind of like a, a another family atmosphere where you are support for each other, right? 100%. Yeah, we are. I mean, you're there for hours and hours every day. And... Yeah, you know, sometimes it's the mothers you're there more than the fathers. And so, you know, you just end up walking into these rooms and you just like you just start talking. You know, sometimes before even introducing yourself, you're just like, How's your baby? How's your day? And it's a little it feels a little less awkward, I guess. It makes you feel a little less like you're in this NICU. Because Looking at the NICU now, because most of us will not have had the experience, although the statistics are really huge, so that is one of the reasons that we're having this conversation this morning. What mm-hmm. what was it for you? Because I think I read that it was a bit overwhelming to see what went on in that whole area. Well, interesting. The night before um, my C-section, they had a chaplain come down, and this chaplain at Swedish, she does the tours of the NICU. And she come down and asked if I wanted to tour the NICU. My husband and my mother-in-law were in the room at the time. And I was a bit overwhelmed with all the information that was just given to me. I feel like the the neonatal doctor came in, gave me some 
statistics on like 25 week babies and what he's dealt with, um, what could happen, what couldn't happen, and kind of gave me like his overview. And then this chaplain comes down, and the chaplain does the tours of the NICU. So she asked me, asked us if we wanted to have a tour. My husband and my mother-in-law were in the room, and I declined. I was like, I don't want to see it. I see it. I'm probably going to be even more stressed. So um, (laughs) my husband and my mother-in-law went. And I didn't go. Mm-hmm. And when they came back, I just asked them. It's like, so, how was it? What did it look like? And that was pretty much how I wanted to handle it. Because I think that if I'd seen the NICU, I think in my mind, I kind of had an idea of what NICUs look like from, you know, TV shows. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they're like all glass. And you have to look at your baby through these, this glass. And super sterile. And I mean, but that's, that's just like a half of an image of a NICU because I've never even been in a NICU, never even thought of a NICU. Just what in my mind did it look like something from like a television show? Um, so my husband comes back up and he's like, oh, and he's not very like, <laughs> Jordan is an excellent communicator on camera for football. But when it comes to what did you see in the NICU? It's like, ah, you know, Babies, the room. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. So I didn't see it until after I delivered and they rolled me up to him to be by his isolate a few hours after I delivered. Yes. And you know what is wonderful about that is having that choice. You can determine what's right for you and what isn't. So that's, that is really respectful and empowering. Mm-hmm. It is. And I think that wonderful because they don't really force you to do anything because they understand that the situation is really extreme. And I do remember the March of Dimes, they have this um, guy come in, um, I'm trying to think, it's somewhere in this process as well, like either after we truly make you, maybe actually he may came in at the same time, and he comes in with this bag with all this literature and kind of drops it off and says that we're here to support you if you have any questions about, you know, prematurity. And I think when they first came in, I was just like, it's also overwhelming. Thank you for the literature. I'll figure it out. Um, And I believe they were part of, you know, the chaplain giving us the tour. But the idea of having to deliver your baby so soon is just so overwhelming that I think they understand you know, we don't want to force them to do too much. We don't want to go look at the NICU, don't look at the NICU. And I think I actually pushed to have the conversation with the neonatal doctor from my doctors because um, I don't think that's just protocol. I think that's if you want it, if you ask for it, they'll try and, you know, um, accommodate you. So it was definitely um, a lot happening within, I, I want to say, like 24 hours. And that's the thing, isn't it? You had a sense that possibly the baby might be premature, but it was just very sudden. It, this is something that yeah. typically happens suddenly, right? Yeah, like I wasn't feeling sick at all. Um, and I know a lot of other mothers who are in the situation, you know, all of a sudden they went into pre labor or they had some pains or, 
you know, something was an indicator that something was happening. I had a test taken a few weeks prior, five weeks prior, that indicated that I was going to more than likely develop preeclampsia in the pregnancy. It doesn't say when you're going to develop it. It's just with my protein levels that had been kind of screened that I was going to get it. So a lot of women get preeclampsia later in the pregnancy, you know, week 35, week 36, and it's not such a huge ordeal, right? So I felt fine. I wasn't feeling ill at all. But because we were watching for it, um, I was getting blood drawn every couple of weeks. And one week I had my blood drawn on a Friday, Friday before Easter. My doctor calls me Saturday night. He's on call at a different hospital. And I guess he was going through the labs from Friday. And he's asking me, like, hey, how do you feel? I'm like, I feel fine. I went for a walk today. I just made dinner. I feel great. He's like, you sure you feel okay? You don't have any swelling. You don't have any headaches. No, no swelling, no headaches. Fine. He was like, well, I'm going to need you to go and just go to the hospital tonight. I want them to monitor you for a couple of days because your levels are increasingly high. And we just want to make sure. And Everly? I feel like he knew. (laughs) (laughs) He did. And what week was that? Let's just make that clear in your pregnancy. Week 25. Week 25. Literally, like I just hit week 25 in my pregnancy. So we go to the hospital and we are immediately, they're like, oh, we've been waiting for you. I guess my doctor had already like told him. He's like, I'm on call another hospital tonight, but I told them you're coming. <laughs> and so I get there and they're like, oh, we've been waiting for you. Okay. And they put me in triage for labor and delivery. And these nurses are basically prepping me for surgery. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, my doctor just said you guys were going to just monitor me for a couple of days, check my blood samples, check my urine. They're like, well, the numbers that we're seeing, it's not going to be long. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, okay. And I think at that point I just kind of was like, all right, well, here we go. Yeah. Let's just. We'll see what happens. Um, Was it comforting, Everly, though, to at least be in the hospital where you had the attention of the medical staff? 100%, you know, um, because I do know that preeclampsia is a very serious condition and it can happen fast and you can get really sick really fast. Um, And knowing that we were ahead of it gave me a lot of comfort knowing that we could probably, you know, do something to give me a few extra days. That was a little, that was comforting as well, but you know, it could have been a different situation. I have friends who have given me stories that um, I'm very grateful that my doctor was so on it because it, I could have been rolled up into a hospital on an ambulance. You know, it could have been a different story. And this way, at least, you had some calm about it. I mean, there's obviously stress, but it, you mm-hmm. didn't have to have that anxiety of a, an emergency area, an ambulance, and that sort of thing. Exactly. And I know there's other mothers who have, you know, come into that hospital, and they ha- 
they're in different situations. They're in pain. There's bleeding. There's so many other elements to, you know, being there. And so they have to quickly have the C-section. You know, for me, it's like, I feel fine. And they're like, hmm, <laughs> you feel fine, but we're telling you you're sick. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky. I got, you know, really two extra days due to a steroid shot that they administered as soon as I got there and put me on magnesium drip, which now I know were very, 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 I think, helpful to my son. That steroid shot, I think, is one of the reasons why he did so well in the NICU and really didn't have, um, he went through every um, respiratory machine in order to get to breathing on his own, but where he was able to breathe on his own. Huge. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? from the steroid shots. Mm-hmm. A lot of mothers don't get it. Like, by the time they get to the hospital, it's too late. And so, you know, all this research that, you know, March of Dimes and most of these hospitals show is like the steroid shot is like not it's not 100%, but it's, like, so crucial in your baby's, like, lung development. So critical. And for us mm-hmm. to get a perspective of this, I was kind of putting it in context in my mind that you were expecting to have delivery in July, so like a, a July 4th baby, potentially, July right? July great. Okay. <laughs> so it was going to be as that kind of celebration, the fireworks. Totally. But yeah. now you had an Easter baby. Yeah. That's the difference. That's huge. It is. It's a lot of time, a lot of time in between. Yes. Um, but, you know, it, it's thankfully, you know, he is happy. He's healthy. We spent three months in a NICU, 94 days. He actually came home a week before his due date. He came home July 5th, uh, which is, you know, and they, when you get to the NICU, the you know, you're, of course, like, your first question is, well, when is he going to come home? <laughs> and the doctors, everyone looks at you like, hold on, lady. <laughs> eh, hold on here. You know, and they just say, well, usually they're coming home around their due date. You know, and they don't want to give you um, any hope of that being the day. It could be before. It could be long after. You know, your baby sets the tone for that. And this beautiful little boy who came into the world so early at a very small, small weight. It's almost mm-hmm. incomprehensible. How much did he weigh? He weighed one pound, five ounces, 12 inches long. So tiny. Oh. So tiny. You know, Everly, I think without doubt we should, we ought to, or we do look at birth as being such a miracle. But when you look at a tiny little one like this, one pound, five ounces, that is a super huge miracle. It is. He is our little miracle baby for sure. And, you know, I say it every day, there's the element of being this human body that's able to develop and grow outside of where it's supposed to be, you know, like supposed to be in your womb for nine months. And this is where he's supposed to, he or she's supposed to, you know, get all its nutrients and grow and become this seven, eight pound baby, you know, and to have to watch that process. is just, it's amazing. It's amazing what these doctors and nurses and hospitals are able to do to recreate um, an environment for them. Um, and also just to help these babies grow and to keep them alive. You know, essentially he was on life support. 
There's no doubt about it. There's no way he was able to live outside of breathing machines, IVs, so many, you know, the first, I think, six weeks, you could barely see his little body because he's got tubes and cords connected to him everywhere. You know, there's a feeding tube, there's a breathing tube, there's a mask over his face. There's, you can't even see his little tiny face. Mm-hmm. And it's just beyond your comprehension of how he becomes this big baby at some point. You know, like yesterday we were at the doctor and he's 12 pounds. Like, who? how? How does he become 12 pounds? My little one-pound baby, how? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, again, another perspective we need to include here is that the reason all of this can exist in the NICU unit and that the doctors and nurses are able to be there and, and do the work they do is because of the research that's gone on for decades now and the funding, and all of us can be part of it and support then the work of the March of Dimes, isn't it true? It's 100% true. Um, There's no way that these hospitals and nurses and doctors would be able to do what they do without all of this research because it's ever-changing. You know, I think that babies being born prematurely, even over the last five years, there's so much has changed in how they treat the babies. Even when we were in the NICU, these doctors are going to um, seminars and discussing, you know, ways to help the lungs develop a little faster. Some of your research that just came up like last year. It's ever changing and it's so helpful in the viability of babies at an earlier rate. You know, viability, I believe now is 20 three weeks, I think, maybe 24. I want to say 23 because I was in a room with a 23-weeker, and that's just amazing. I don't think that was the case years ago. I think for a 23-weeker, it was almost, you know, like your baby is not going to make it. And I I am just so grateful for the research of the Martian Dimes because otherwise a little man wouldn't be here today. Absolutely. Well, I am grateful as well, Everly, because it's only with stories like yours and Jordan's and knowing about little Jace now, a 12-pound baby in our community, that you are all here and sharing this story. It helps us to get a better understanding and do what we can to support the continued work of the March of Dimes. So, Everly, thank you so greatly for being so open and uh, sharing your life, your experience with us. We are, are in your debt. Thank you, Kate, for talking to me this morning. I just hope my story gives hope to some other families and to understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's like you're in these NICU rooms and you're just like, is it going to get any worse? Is it going to get any better? It's going to get better. Very important words. (laughs) Thank you, Everly. Having heard a mother's experiences of a premature birth, we're now going to get a different perspective. This from a certified nurse midwife, Kristen Johnson. She works for Community Health Associates of Spokane and volunteers to speak to the work of the March of Dimes. The hope, of course, is that as we hear all these stories, we come to realize a role that we might or need, really, to play in this entire experience. And Kristen is here to provide some of these insights. Kristen Johnson, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. 
Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. And of course, big thanks for the kind of work that you do. We just heard from a young mom who has had given birth not that long ago, well, seven months ago, to a little premature baby. That is your focus uh, in the work in the community as a certified nurse midwife. Uh, you come across this quite regularly, I would imagine, Kristen. Our hope is to prevent it. We do everything we can to prevent it. And the truth of the matter is, though, we're really in a a challenging space right now because we seem to have been doing well looking at just Washington State right now. But uh, when there are these report cards that come out and we're given these grades as uh, are given in school, Washington has slipped a bit. Our nation as a whole actually has slipped a bit, um, a lot a bit, in fact. Uh, The overall U.S. preterm birth rate used to be 9.85%, so almost 10% of births in the nation are born before 37 weeks. But it's been rising steadily. For the third year in a row, we've risen. And so the March of Dimes, who gives the nation a grade, you know, A, B, C, D, um, has actually downgraded us to a C. The United States is actually one of the most dangerous places for women to give birth in the developing world. We have the worst outcomes. Now, shouldn't that just really rattle us right to the core? It really should. And we should be ashamed of that fact as well. Because the women and children are the core of our community. But OB providers, as well as the March of Dimes and nurse midwives across the nation, are working to address these factors that might be causing the preterm birth rate to be rising. One of the biggest factors that we see is what's called the social determinants of health, or more specifically, where people are living, working, and playing. We find these pockets of poverty within our nation and within our local communities in Washington State and um, our our towns in Seattle and Spokane, uh, wherever you're living. There are pockets where people are living where they're called maternity deserts or healthcare deserts. There are limited access to healthy foods. There are unsafe neighborhoods. There's limited access to healthcare. There's unstable housing. Um, there's lower income. There's substandard education in some of these pockets. And predominantly, it's affecting women of color. Women of color are 50% more likely to give birth early. And so what the March of Dimes is doing is identifying this, and then there's education that is being done. But this is a huge, huge work that needs to be done. It is huge, and many partners are involved. Uh, The March of Dimes partners with many local communities all across the nation, and not only are they advancing research, they have six prematurity research centers looking at what is causing prematurity. They're also active advocating for political policies and laws to change to promote the health of moms and babies. They're supporting moms through every stage of the pregnancy journey. They are educating providers across the nation in group prenatal care because they have found that group prenatal care 
where women actually come together in a group for prenatal visits for a couple hours instead of just a 15-minute appointment with their OB provider. They found that group prenatal care has shown to decrease preterm birth rates. So the March of Dimes is actually tackling many factors that are affecting the preterm birth rate. Not only are they doing research, they're affecting policy, they're educating local providers, and they're also amplifying the voice that we have. They're bringing our voices to light. And Kristen, you live and work in the Spokane area, and there is a special kind of program that is being worked on, or maybe it's already established, for a focus on this with young mothers or pregnant women. There is. For the past two years, the Chaz Clinics, for which I work, has been providing group prenatal care. And so the women will come in a group of six to ten women, about hopefully the same gestation, and they will have one of our first steps nurses and a midwife available. They'll essentially get their prenatal care in a group visit. And what the benefit of the group visit does is it will flip this power dynamic where instead of the midwife being all-knowing, the women will actually learn from each other and the nurses and midwives who are facilitating the group are there to support and provide accurate information. So it puts a lot of power back in the hands of women and children. And it occurs to me in creating this kind of group that it perhaps takes the place of what used to exist when we weren't so mobile around wherever we lived, that this is a new family. Families used to be there to kind of support and educate and and just be there. Now this is a new kind of family dynamic. And it needs to be because for centuries, women raised their families within a village And our families are so scattered across the nation that women and their partners are raising these children alone without the collective wisdom of the village. And we find that if we start replacing that, we get better outcomes. Yes. So that is obviously one of the fundamentals of what we can do to support uh, the work of the March of Dimes, because they've been doing this research and they're, they're helping communities across the country to establish this, right? They have been. They have provided grant funding for many, many sites across the nation to start up Centering Pregnancy and Group Prenatal Care. And they've started tracking the research and the trends and have noticed that they have, in pockets of the nation, been saving millions of dollars by decreasing the preterm birth rate. One premature baby could be a million-dollar or even a multi-million-dollar baby. So not only is it devastating at times to the families to have a preterm birth, it is very costly to our society and our healthcare system as a whole. And that's why it feels as though doing all of these preventive measures that we are learning more about, doing the preventive health care in advance for young mothers. And you were mentioning, Kristen, how it's identified that in the poverty pockets and those maternity deserts, as you termed it, which is a very interesting term, 
to address that and do what we need to up front, spend the money there rather than after the fact with all of the, the strain and stress it puts on, on the baby, but the family as well. Absolutely. And the Chaz clinics that I work for, part of their mission is to reach out into the communities where the women actually live to bring health care to them in the communities where they live. Because quite often we know that these women have transportation issues. They have other children to care for. When you are asking a woman to come in to a central location for a visit, they have travel time, sometimes through bus transfers and other family obligations as well to care for. Whereas if we can meet them in their local communities, then there is more likely a chance that they will be able to actually engage in their health care. And this is one very excellent way that there is care being addressed. There are so many more, and we just unfortunately don't have time to get into all of it. But I would say, would you say, actually, Kristen, to check the March of Dimes website that there's so much more information there? There is so much information on the March of Dimes websites. They would ask our communities to help them advocate for these women. If you don't have time for advocacy work and you have money, you can donate to support the March of Dimes Foundation to fund their programs. Or you can simply help us by raising awareness on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, taking March of Dimes or World Prematurity Day, which is coming up soon. Exactly. Well, there is just so much going on. All of this is, we're talking life and death matters, but it's more primarily life that's happening. And it's what's being advocated for. And the March of Dimes is doing so much with that. And you, Kristen, by spending time with us this morning and giving us some of these critical insights are doing the work as well. So thank you so much for spending your knowledge and time with us this morning. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and any time that midwives can advocate for moms and babies is a good day. And just a reminder, World Prematurity Day is on Saturday, November 17th. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Everly Babineau and Kristen Johnson and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Lee Ayrton. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage, click on the on-air tab, then Sunday mornings, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of learning about life, its preciousness, the value of each and every life, and thus person. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.